We are in a series um, about what happens when people in the Bible uh, meet Jesus. It's not something that happens, um, it's always positive, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, a bunch of people met Jesus, uh, heard from him, saw what he did, and decided he needed to die. Uh, but some people met him and their lives were transformed. Their eternities were transformed. Uh, and so uh, it's interesting to me how people meet him and, and what, what happens. And so we're walking through this series. Uh, um, different examples. We've already talked about uh, this guy, this kid named Nicodemus, who met Jesus, sorry, not Nicodemus, uh, Nathaniel, who met Jesus. And Nathaniel uh, is invited by his friends to come and see this guy that they've been listening to, Jesus. They said that he's the one, and Nathaniel uh, is skeptical. And they said, why don't you come and see for yourself? And so Nathaniel goes and he sees, and uh, Jesus in some mysterious way communicates to Nathaniel. Uh, it's a crazy story that he knows him, that he sees him. And... Uh, Nathaniel is just amazed at this man. And he says, like, you're clearly the one. Uh, and Jesus sees him and he knows him. And Nathaniel goes on to learn how much he loves him, even though he knows him and sees him. Uh, and then we talked about the woman at the well. As a matter of fact, we kind of talked about the woman at the well and, and Nicodemus at the same time. Um, two people uh, in societal structure at the time at complete opposite ends. Uh, one an outsider and one very much an insider. And to both of them, at either ends of the spectrum uh, of culture, of society, to both of them, Jesus says, you don't need a better life. You don't need help with the life that you have now. You, you, need, to, you need a whole new life. You, you need to be made completely new. Uh, and he offers it to them, and he says it's available to those that will ask. And so that's it. This morning, we're gonna talk about we're talking about two, two guys uh, wrote about this story that we're going to look at, uh, a guy named Matthew and a guy named Luke. They both wrote about this uh, event. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew's telling of it. Uh, it's about this guy named John the Baptist. Uh, Matthew has already told us in the first 10 chapters, we're going to be in chapter 11 if you have your Bibles. Uh, the first 10 chapters, he's already told us uh, about Jesus' uh, coming, uh, how at the Christmas story, he's told us, uh, he wrote down one of Jesus' famous sermons that he gave on top of this mountain. And uh, uh, he wrote this down, and so we, we've heard what Jesus has been teaching, his word, what he's been saying. Uh, and then he actually has recorded 10 miracles so far. He's written down 10 different miracles. So we see kind of the work that Jesus has been doing uh, before we get to this text. Jesus is actually even sending people out on mission already. And so before we get to this text, uh, it's building up to this, uh, this moment. Uh, Matthew's been teasing this, this thing the whole time. Uh, and, and the thing that he's been teasing out and the question that his readers would definitely already be asking is, who is this Jesus? Like, who is he? So here's how today's going to go. Uh, I'm going to uh, quote C.S. Lewis once, uh, actually twice, but I'm not going to tell you the second time. It'll just be kind of veiled. Uh, and then uh, I'm also going to, we're going to look at a hymn that a guy named John Newton wrote, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. It's another hymn. We're going to, we're going to look, I'm going to look at that. It's going to be fun. 
Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so Matthew's been leading up to this, building up to this question, teasing out who is this guy who came out. And, and that's a, it's a legitimate question based on what Matthew's been saying. It's a thing that we ask ourselves all the time. Uh, we, we see something that stands out and we ask, who, who is this? Uh, it's, yeah, I remember my, my kid playing t-ball, right? Uh, and also there's this one kid that's like a foot and a half taller than everybody else. I'm like, who is that kid? I want to see his birth certificate. He's clearly shaving. Uh, he can't be playing seventh grade. Seven, seven-year-old baseball? Like, what's happening right now? Uh, who is this kid? We, we ask, or have you ever, like, watching, a, uh, if you ever go to, a, like, a, maybe a, a music venue and you see all these different bands and you wander into this place, it's not the main headliner, and you see somebody that just blows your mind, and you're like, who is this kid? It happened to me last night. I was, I, somebody sent me a, a clip that, uh, a, a, a video uh, that this, this band Pearl Jam was playing in Oakland and their drummer had to be out because he tested positive for COVID. So they just invited some local kid to come play with them. And there's a video of this local kid playing with Pearl Jam. And, and he, he's crushing it. And all I can think of is like, who is this kid? Like, who is he? And what is he, what is he thinking right now? Getting to play with Pearl Jam. Uh, so... The stories that Matthew's been telling, everybody's like, who is this guy who does these things? And Matthew's been building to this moment, to this central question, like, who is Jesus? Or, you know, maybe, maybe even closer to home, what am I supposed to think about this Jesus? How about this? So I don't have to, it doesn't matter who that kid that played with Pearl Jam was, uh, but based on the things that Jesus has been saying and doing, it matters to me. It has eternal consequences to me, uh, who Jesus is to me, Right? Like, that's the difference here. Uh, the things that he has been claiming about himself. Uh, what does this Jesus have to do with me? Is he anything to me? That's the question that's being kind of led up to. So Matthew tells six stories. Uh, he actually paints like kind of six different pictures. Uh, to answer this question, we're going to look at the first one uh, about John the Baptist. I'm going to read to you some stuff. Here he goes. This is Matthew chapter 11. So when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? (laughs) But then you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it was written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is amazing. This is the story of John the Baptist asking, like, are you him? So John's a very interesting character. Uh, Jesus, Jesus' mother, Mary, and John's mother, Elizabeth, were actually related. And uh, John starts out his ministry and comes on the scene. He's out in the desert. He's wearing camel hair clothes, uncomfortable clothes. Uh, 
He's eating locusts and honey. And this is very much a picture. Uh, people recognize this image from the Old Testament. Uh, this is a prophetic image. And not just what he looks like and what he's eating, but what he's saying and how he is saying it. He's preaching about repentance and he's calling people to repent and then he's baptizing them in the Jordan and he's doing all of these things. And it's very clearly people recognize him as a prophet, which is interesting because people come out to see him because no one has, there's, there's not been a prophet in 400 years in Israel. It's been a very long time between Malachi and Matthew, the old, end of the Old Testament and, and the beginning of Matthew. In 400 years, so people are hearing, like, this is a prophet, someone speaking uh, God's words to us, so they're going out to hear him in the desert. And what he's saying is interesting. If you've come out here and thinking that you're gonna follow me, you've made a big mistake. It's not about me. John's message is very clearly, I'm just here to prepare you for the one who's after me. I'm just letting you know that there's one coming that's greater than me. If you've come out here to follow me, man, let me disavow you of that notion right now. It's not about me, it's about the one that's coming after me that's a lot greater than me. So Jesus shows up out there while he's preaching and baptizing, and John says to Jesus at one point, he goes, look, Jesus is walking along the bank, and John goes, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Talking about the one after him, the new creator. And some of his disciples at one point actually kind of complained and said, uh, some people following John complained and said, uh, hey, like, people are leaving you to go follow this Jesus. And John has this great line. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. One of my favorite paintings, uh, this really weird painting, uh, but there's just Jesus on the cross and there's just this picture of John. The kind of image is focused on John, the painting, and he's just pointing at Jesus and it's just written above him. He must increase and I must decrease. Less about me, more about him. This is John's ministry. The people are going out to see him, so the religious leaders get kind of really interested in what's happening. Uh, religious, political leaders get really interested. And so the, they're called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are two different groups that were kind of in religious authority. So they go out to check out what John's, uh, John's doing, and John uh, lays into them. Uh, in Matthew uh, 3, 7, early on when they go to see John, uh, John calls them a brood of vipers. Look at this. Uh, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his, to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Like he just lays into them. Uh, they were corrupt. Uh, they prayed on the weak. They were self-righteous. And John had very little patience uh, with them or the religious structure of the day. And it's such a big deal that it's even drawing the attention of the Roman Empire, like the ruling political authority of the day, the, the, the uh, military might of the day uh, has, that occupies the whole region. It's even drawing their attention. This guy named Herod, Uh, had taken his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And John has been saying to Herod, this powerful Roman leader, uh, hey, it's unlawful for you to do that. You cannot do that. And so Herod gets mad, and that's why John's in prison. He arrests John because he's telling him, "You you can't marry your brother's sister. What are you doing? You can't take her and marry her. So, a matter of fact, Herodias is so mad about the whole thing that she's been asking John to, she's been asking for John's head. She wants him killed. And Herod won't do it because he's afraid of John. That's how, what a big deal John was. Is that the political leaders are afraid of him. John is giant. Jesus says here of the, of born of woman, there's nobody greater than John. And in this scene, John is in prison and he, he hears what Jesus is saying and he's doing and he starts to wonder. And he starts to ask the big question. 
And he says, are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for someone else? Are you really the guy? Or are you the guy that I thought you were or is there somebody else coming after you? And here's why John asks the question, I think. Uh, if you look at how John is preaching, what he's been preaching about, he's preaching about the one that comes after him that's greater than him. But, but what he, if you think about what John had been doing, he, he might be looking for a specific thing. So John has been preaching, look, look what he says in the rest of that Matthew 3 section that we just read. I want, I want to read a little more of that. Matthew 3, uh, 7 says this. This is John preaching. So the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. For Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I am whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he'll burn with an unquenchable fire. <laughs> John's, like a, John's, like, John's a fire and brimstone kind of guy. Like he, he says, hey, he sees them and he goes like, hey, there's wrath coming. God's wrath's coming for you. Who told you to even, that you could even get away from this? And then he says this. He says, hey, don't be impressed with your family tree. You think just because you're an Israelite, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you think that's going to somehow save you? The axe is laid at the root of that tree. You don't think that's going to save you? And then he starts talking about fire. He says, he says hey, look, I'm just baptizing you with water. The one that comes after me is going to baptize you with fire. And he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. So they, I guess they would have taken the wheat and kind of thrown it up in the air and they would have gathered the good wheat and the chaff that was left over, the worthless chaff, they'd burn that off. And he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's bringing it in. And you guys, you waste of worthless space, he's going to burn you up with an unquenchable fire. It's quite a sermon. So he's been preaching like this, talking about God's judgment longing for God's judgment, praying probably in his life for God to bring his judgment, to set things right. Uh, because the Old Testament talks about this, that God is gonna come and he's gonna deal with wickedness, he's gonna deal with evil, he will bring judgment. Uh, and for those that oppress the poor, those that uh, oppress God's people, there will be judgment. And so John has been preaching this. Meanwhile, Jesus is out there telling people to love their enemy, helping the poor and befriending tax collectors and sinners and talking about mercy at a time like this. So John is like, what, 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 are, you, what, are, you, what are you doing? You're not talking about the right things. So he may be not, not be talking about the right things, but I mean, he's doing all of these miracles, right? True, right, he was doing them, uh, but probably in John's mind, he's doing them in the wrong places, right? Jesus is like out in the backwoods healing people. And in John's mind, probably, like it's nice and neat that, you're, that you healed this guy that was born blonde. That's amazing. I'm not saying it's not amazing, but it's not really gonna change anything, is it? I mean, the lepers that you healed, like, nobody listens to them. The, the guy that you told to get up and walk, he was a nobody. 
I think probably in John's mind, Jesus is out there putting band-aids on a gaping wound. What are you doing? What difference is it making? You're doing these amazing things, but the Pharisees are still in charge of like worship, like people's idea of what, what religious life should look like. Sadducees are still in control of the temple. And Jesus is out there just kind of making friends with these people. He's in the sticks healing insignificant people. Not in the middle of Jerusalem, not in the heart of power. The basic structural problems still exist. And no matter how many of these people you heal, Jesus, we still live under this oppression of these corrupt religious leaders. We still live under the oppression of it. What are you doing? The world is still full of powerful people who are doing terrible things. And the way that John probably sees it, sitting in jail, he's the only one that's been speaking truth to a power. John's been speaking truth to power. He's the one that stood up to Herod. And where am I? I'm in jail, and Herod's still on the throne. What are you doing? Are you the one, or is there another one that we should be looking for? So John confused. He asked us questions. John has seen Jesus. He knows Jesus, and the truth is, is that he's kind of disappointed. Like, how hard is that, right? That you've given your life to pointing to Jesus, to talking to people about Jesus. You've given your life for him, and you're just kind of disappointed in him. That's probably where John is. Are you the one or not? Because you don't look like the one. What kind of Messiah acts like this? John is disappointed because Jesus isn't meeting his expectations. He's asking the question that any serious follower of Jesus should ask, or anybody that even thinks about walking away from the faith should ask, or walking away from the church, are you the one? Are you the one that was promised? Are you the one that I've been looking for and waiting for and longing for? Are you the one that's gonna fix everything? Are you the one that's gonna satisfy me or not? Should I keep looking for something else or someone else? He's not doing what John expected or to be honest, you read the rest of the story, he's not doing what the disciples expected. A bunch of people are unhappy with all the things that he's doing. John expected justice and axes and fire. And instead, Jesus seems to be all about mercy. Mercy is great and all in John's mind, but it needs to be, that has to come after the judgment. The judgment needs to be the main job. The Savior of Israel is supposed to come and do this. That's what's needed right now. Mercy can come later, but Jesus is bringing about healing. He seems to, he seems to be, he's just, the mercy and the healing that comes with the kingdom, he says is actually, you have access to that now. He's bringing those things. So John has questions. I I don't think that you could find, I don't believe that they exist, a old saint. You know what I'm talking about? One of the people that have lived for Jesus for a very long time, loved Jesus, faithful. You know the people that are just kind of kind and gentle and kind of bring peace, like those people? I don't think that you could ever find a single one that hasn't wept over the ways of Jesus. Like John has. Wondering what God is doing. 
Now, it's definitely possible that, uh, to not be satisfied in Jesus because you're not doing the things that he said. Uh, that happens. It's, in, it's happened in my life. Uh, hey, I, I don't understand why this is not working out. I don't understand why this is, like, how, how, do I not, how is this not going? I don't understand what's going on. And the answer is because I'm not doing the things that he told me to do. That's possible. But that's not what's happening here. Uh, what's happening here is that John doesn't understand his ways. He doesn't understand why he's doing it. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's prayed for all this stuff. He's prayed for the Messiah would come to bring this promised judgment, and Jesus most certainly will bring, just, bring justice. But his whole heart for humanity, his whole being, is in first bringing mercy and grace. To let the world know that God loves us. To let the world know God's deep passion for us, what he would do to draw us close. That's what Jesus' main task is. If I could go back in time and talk to John at this moment, right? Um, I think it's a gift that we have this, the Bible. Obviously it is, but one of the great gifts of the Bible is that we get to see how the story ends. So you're in this moment with John, and you wish you could go to John and go, hey, John, look, man, here's the deal. I know that you're in crisis. I know that you're freaking out right now, but man, like you don't know. Like I, I, The story ends so much better than you could have ever dreamed. The story is so much better than you could think. Like John, the, the mercy that, that he pours out around the world, billions of people come to know God because of Jesus and because of those that follow him. Like, you don't understand how big the thing that he's doing is. Dude, he, I know it's hard to understand John, but he's gonna go to the cross. He's gonna die, but don't, don't worry, he's gonna, he's gonna come back from the dead and, and, and it's in, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and dwell inside of us. He's gonna give us a whole other life. It's John, it's, it's so much bigger than you think. He's doing something so much bigger than you could even dream of, John. And we get to see the end of the story and, and at a place that is beyond where John is. We get to see how the story ends in the cross and the resurrection and we know about salvation from death and hell. And I, I think it's a gift that we get to see this because then maybe, maybe we will learn eventually, maybe I will learn eventually that when I'm disappointed in Jesus, maybe he's doing something bigger than I think he is. When I look at my life and I go, Jesus, the main task in your life should be this. I don't understand. The main task in my life should, that you should be doing in my life is this. I don't understand why you're not doing this. Why aren't you fixing this, Jesus? I prayed. I've done all of the things. I don't understand why you're not fixing it. Look, I, I did all the things and my marriage is still hard. I don't understand why you're not fixing it. Hey, I, I, I'm still lonely I don't, and I'm doing all the things. I don't understand why you're not fixing this, Jesus. Your, your main priority in my heart should be fixing my loneliness or my anxiety or this thing that I did that I can't seem to get over. Like, like I don't understand what you're doing if you're not doing this thing. And maybe because we can see how John's stories ends, we can believe that ours might, maybe he's doing something bigger in our life. Here's a John, here's this uh, C.S. Lewis quote. I can't help it. I tried to find another one, but this one's just so good. I've used it all the time, and I don't care. I'm not even, I'm not even a little bit sorry for it. This is C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says this, imagine yourself as a living house, and God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you understand what he's doing, right? He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, so on. You knew these jobs needed to be done, so you're not surprised. 
But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. and does not make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Jesus is up to different things than maybe we want him to be. But that doesn't mean he's not working. And John wants him to be about justice, and Jesus says, I'm about justice, man. Don't worry about it. But I am about mercy first, about this first. And how he works is just so strange. There is this, here, I gotta pull it up. There's this hymn that um, John Newton wrote. Uh, it says this. The first verse is that he asks God that he might grow in faith and love and in grace, that he might know salvation more deeply. He says, so I asked for this, and I, I prayed for this because you've told me to pray for this. Uh, and I knew that you would answer it. And I think that you have answered it, but you did it in such a way, this is a great line, you did it in such a way as almost drove me to despair. You answered the prayer that I asked for for more love and grace, but you did it in a way that's driven me to despair. I hope that the, I would pray this thing and some, some amazing hour it would just like come over me and you would just deal with my sin, right? And you would give me this rest that I need. I pray that you would just do it in this, just this moment. But instead, this is verse four, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. He let angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Not only that, he says in the fifth verse, it seems that your own hand was intent to make everything worse. I I kept coming up with all of these schemes to feel better, to, to deal with what I was going through, and you seemed to undo every single one of them, humbled my heart and laid me low. And then this is six and seven. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy room by worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials that I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break the schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thine all in me. We think that the things that we're going through have no point. The struggles that we have have no point. I want you, I want John, I want me to know that perhaps God's up to something bigger than we could have even dreamed of. That he's shaping us through these things, through our trials. That he's actually answering prayers in them. I promise you this, Jesus knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he's up to, and it's far more glorious than you've ever dreamed for yourself. So Jesus turns to the crowd. John, John he asks this question. So, you know, what are we to do about this, right? So he asks this question. And Jesus' answer is this. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. He says, go tell John what you have heard, what you have seen. And then he turns around to the crowd and he goes on to tell them how great John is, how strong John is, how mighty John is. 
among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is breathtaking to me. I mean, what would you expect? Like, you came to me and you're like, hey, I'm really struggling to believe these things. I, I, I don't know if I can follow Jesus anymore. Like, you would expect me, or maybe you would say, I think our instinct would rise up into us and go like, well, dude, you just gotta have more faith. Believe harder. What's wrong with you? Believe harder. Have some faith. Believe. Work it up. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Not only does he not do that, he turns around and praises John as a mighty oak. He's just asked this question saying, I really have doubts about you. Maybe there's somebody else. And Jesus doesn't say, John, what are you doing? John, he doesn't turn around and look at the crowd and go like, John's a terrible example of how to be. Don't be like John. He turns around and praises him. I think it's just stunning that asking questions to Jesus doesn't disqualify you from him being gentle and loving you. What he says is, John, go tell John what you've seen. Go tell John what you've heard. Go remind him what's going on. Starts quoting Old Testament verses. That's what Jesus does a lot. He's quoting some of the prophets. He says, go tell John that the lame walk and, and the blind see and all these things. And then those are, those, are prom- those are things that the Messiah was said that he was going to do. Also, by the way, one of these things is interesting. I love this, right? So this list that he's given is amazing, right? It's an amazing list. Go tell him that the blind receive their sight. Unbelievable. Lame people walk. Unbelievable. Lepers are cleansed. Miracle. Deaf hear. Miracle. Dead are raised up. Unbelievable. Poor have good news. Preach to them. What? One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> he's bringing life, not just in the healing, but in, in, in the people who are marginalized and outside having, having life preached to them. It's not just something for the elite. He's saying this is the thing the Messiah has promised, the Messiah always was going to do. I'm doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. Believe in me, John. It's just maybe not in the order that you had planned. These are the things that I am doing. I'm doing the Messiah things, it just doesn't look like you want. And then he turns to the crowd and says that John is so great, but you can be even greater. There's a different kingdom where the tiniest person in this kingdom towers over the greatest in this world. I'm bringing a whole new world, a whole new structure. And how that you have this, how you lay hold of this is by faith in Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is this. John needs faith. You need faith. We need faith. To be a part of this kingdom, to be a part of what Jesus is doing, we have to have faith in who he is and what he's doing. So this is the question. The the poor need faith, the, the rich need faith, they all need faith. And so this is the question. How then do you get the faith? Well, he said to... They said to Nathaniel, they said, hey, I, let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, and, they said, and Nathaniel goes, can anything, be, anything good uh, come out of, uh, uh, of Nazareth? There's no way that this dude is, is who you say he is. And they said to him, come and see. The woman at the well, Jesus talks to her. And you know what she does? She leaves and she goes and gets the rest of the town and goes, hey, you guys have to come and see this guy who told me about my, everything I need to know. And then he says to John, hey, I need you to go tell him what you, what you see, what you've heard and seen. The way that faith grows inside of us, the way that God grows our faith is by looking and seeing how great Jesus is. 
but by staring at how beautiful he is. Our faith is built up and strengthened. We are reassured when we look at who he is and what he has done. That's what he says. John, look at who I am and what I'm doing. I know it doesn't look like what you think it should look like, but look at who I am. So I was at a conference this week, which, by the way, maybe my least favorite thing in the world to do is to go to a conference. I just absolutely despise the idea of it was pretty good, though. It worked out fine. It was fine. Uh, but at one moment, we're in a room with a bunch of other pastors. Absolute nightmare. Uh, but anyway, so all of us pastors in this room, and one of the guys stands up and says, he's, he's going and leading us through this thing. He's I just talking, he's reading and saying these things, leading in prayer. And he says, I just want you guys to tell me why you love Jesus. Go ahead, this room full of people. Go ahead and, and start shouting out uh, why you love Jesus. And uh, I, I just, in the moment, I just thought, can I sneak out of here? I, I don't want to sit through this. This is going to be brutal. But it's it probably the highlight of the week for me because uh, somebody over here said, which what you should say first, because he first loved us, right? That's, what, that's, that's the Bible verse. We love Jesus because he first loved us, yes. And then somebody uh, over there said, because he's beautiful. And I was like, yeah, that's true too. And then somebody over there said, because he's wise. I was like, yeah, that is true. Jesus is wise. And somebody else said, because he's gentle. I was like, man, Jesus is so gentle with us. Somebody else said, because his mercies are new every day. I was like, man, that is so true. And it just kept going. All of these different things, people reciting why Jesus was lovely. Why we love Jesus? Because he forgives our sins, because he pursued us, because he heals us, because he meets us, because he comforts us. Because, and then somebody said, because he loves me when I don't even love myself. And then somebody else said, he loves me even when I don't love him. And in that rehearsing, I was just broken and reminded That faith grows when we look to Jesus. Come and see what he has done. That is the invitation over and over. And go and tell them what you hear and see. That Jesus is this way, that his mercies are new every day, that he deals gently with us. The solution, I think it's significant that John asked Jesus, Like, John could have said, I don't know about this guy, and gotten his disciples together and go like, maybe it's not Jesus. Should it be, like, you guys heard of anybody else out there that we should go look at? Maybe we just need to take a break from this Jesus guy for a little while, see what else comes along. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to Jesus and says, I have questions. That's what we do. When we have questions, when we wonder, we don't just kind of like pull back and go like, I think I'm gonna go find something else and maybe they'll make me happy. Maybe if I, maybe if I just could find something else that would fulfill me. And we have this kind of place in our heart that goes, if Jesus would just fix this one thing, then I could get fully on board. If Jesus would just, if Jesus would just do this, if he would just help me kind of get my business into a place where I could actually just have some free time, then I would definitely jump on board with the whole Jesus thing. If he would just do this thing, then I would jump on board. And we get in that place and we pull away and pull away from him and we stop looking at him and we wonder why we look up and we've drifted so far away. But when you have the questions and you go to him and say, I don't understand, I'm still hurting. And you come together in community, when we come together in corporate worship, which is structured to constantly point us to the, great, the, the greatness of God, when we inconvenience ourselves to enter into community with one another, 
we see how beautiful Jesus is. I can't tell you the number of times that this community has reminded me of how beautiful Jesus is. You, guys, how you've loved me, how you've cared for my family has broken my heart at the beauty of how Jesus loves. He's gentle about peace. Don't get me wrong. Judgment is coming. <laughs> there is judgment. And I wish I could just look at John and say, John, the judgment will come, but first, mercy will flow Grace will flow and lives will be changed. So that's what I want you to do. All I want for you is to look and see. So here's how you do that. If you don't know how to do that, here's my encouragement to you. Take open the Psalms each morning. Find a Psalm. Even if it's just the one that you know. If you just know the 23rd Psalm, just go to the 23rd Psalm and you make that your prayer for the morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, you have provided for me all that I want. You have shepherded me, you guide me. There's nothing else that I need but you. And we take these things and we begin to pray them. And you take the Psalms and you pray them. And then you, and you go to the Gospels and you read the stories of the things that Jesus has done. And you spend time thinking about it. You ask it questions. You ask him questions. And you go with him. him. You work out these things in his presence. This is the way. And then ask me. Ask other people. Ask Josh. I, there's so many people that would, be, would love to help you learn to study and learn to know more about what Jesus is like. I can't do anything. All we do here is just point you to Jesus. The cross shows you how deeply you were loved at your absolute worst. Your sin cost that, and that is how much you were loved. And we have hope in this, and we live out of this, and we take this and we apply it to every, every nook and cranny of our heart. When we stumble, when we struggle, when we have our questions, bring them to Jesus. Look and see. When your faith feels weak, look and see who he is and what he's like. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the table, the body broken and the blood spilled that we may have life, may we be comforted, may we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. May we be transformed. By your love, increase our faith. Increase our strength. Make us courageous. Give us a new vision of Jesus' great love for us. Give us new eyes to understand how deep your love is. And when we hurt, when we're lost, and we have questions, we don't understand why you're not about what we think the main thing should be, give us the faith to know that you're about even better things than we could dream of. And these present struggles nothing compared to the weight of the eternal glory that you're preparing for those that love you. So meet us in this moment. Nourish us. Remind us that your mercies are new every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.